Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with a real clever cookie. It's George Morris, one of the partners at Prime Partners Accountants. Now, I need to advise that uh, George is an accountant, not a financial advisor, so any advice we've got here is just general in nature. But we hear some great stories from George about his financial literacy education as an eight-year-old and an interesting way that his father taught him the value of patience and money. And George gives us some great insights into doing the due diligence on an investment property like an accountant. It's a fantastic and illuminating interview with George, who's always a lot of fun. I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. Here's George. George Morris, thanks for joining us on Geared for Growth. No problem, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, we've had a dry rehearsal on this one, and, and due to some technical errors, we have to, to go back to the beginning. But hopefully our jokes from version one will be even more polished and spectacular, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I don't George, know if we can top it. <laughs> we'll see. Um, George, can you let us know who you are and what you specialize in? Okay. Um, I am from a firm called Prime Partners Chartered Accountancy. Uh, our specialty is working with people with property and also helping businesses grow. Um, so we do a lot in that SME space as well. Beautiful. And what posters were on the bedroom wall growing up, George? Uh, what did I have in there? Uh, very mixed childhood because I had George Gregan in right. there, uh, classic world is halfback, but dad's a Kiwi. So also had Christian Cullen, who was the fullback uh, for the All Blacks. <laughs> Got to a certain age, realised I was born in Australia and that was the wrong thing to have in there. <laughs> That's uh, that's um, quite a conflict yeah. you've got just on the on the bedroom wall. Yeah, look, a confused child, <laughs> a very confused child. But it turned out again, and we, although it hasn't turned out so well, I kept just falling in wallies and we kept losing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a work in progress. Um, how, yeah. how did you first get started in in property, George? And what was your first investment? My first property investment was actually a really strange one. It was at the time of the GFC, and I was looking for something a bit different and I found a fund that invested in American property at that time Um, and it was also unhedged so any movement in the Australian dollar because we were at parity at that stage dollar to dollar to the American dollar so it invested in American property at that stage plus when the Australian dollar came down the value of that went up as well so yeah so it was a bit of a unique probably did all right out of that yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind if that came up again. Yeah, no doubt about you, George. You always sort of seem to land yourself in these uh, fantastic positions. Let's um, let's start a little bit uh, more towards the beginning. You you made the move from from country bumpkin to big smoke. Um, tell us where you grew up and and what that was like. Oh, pretty much like Sydney, very smoggy, very dense. Um, quite compacted. No, so it was. Uh, we ran ran about five hundred head of cattle on a farm about five hours northwest of Sydney. Uh, a lot of people think of the country life as quite slow. I'd say my, my life was anything but. Uh, I used to play a lot of sport. I trained every day after school. Uh, every weekend was packed. You'd always have people around. My parents were quite social. We'd have a lot of dinner parties. So grew up in the country, but always with people around would be how I'd describe yeah, it. Sounds like a pretty idyllic sort of uh, upbringing there, George. But um uh, you 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 were pretty well um, founded in the principles that you apply today, um, finance investing um, through the sort of mentorship of your old man. Can you can you tell us about the deal that you had with your dad for for moving cows on the farm as a youngster? 
Yeah, and, and I think the start of this deal will actually show negotiation yeah. stress as well. Uh, I, I was quite young, maybe eight, and my dad comes in and says, All right, see that mob of cows over there? I say, yeah. goes, if you move them every day for two months, I'll give you half a cow. And that's that's quite a generous offer. So obviously, like an eight-year-old, I blew up saying that was very unreasonable <laughs> and I deserved a whole cow for moving it for that amount of time. We negotiated. Uh, I ended up getting half a cow at the end of it. Uh, but what would happen is I'd go and move them every day. At the end of the period, Dad said, all right, you've got a half cow. Do you want to go and do you know, another few months and get the other half? I said, okay. Went through there, and by the end of it, I had my own cow. So the decision then was he said, well, you own this cow. Do you want to sell it or do you want to breed from it? And, you know, that was quite a lot of money for me back then. I was very tempted to sell it with some subtle suggestions from my dad. I um, I kept that cow, and I bred from it, and then it had a calf. And by the time I finished school, I, I had a herd of about 20. Um, and sold that for my first sort of as I was moving away from the farm. So my first an eight-year-old cow baron essentially is is what you turned into. <laughs> yeah, the Sydney Kidman of the, the <laughs> that's fantastic. I think you, you know your old man was a bit of a visionary there. You could you could see that uh, you know you were a clever lad and and planting the seeds of of pleasure uh, pleasure delaying and delaying that gratification is 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 a is a big fundamental of investment, right? Yeah, and honest, honest to God, when I look back at that, it was it was a genius stroke because a lot of a lot of my generation are instant gratification, um, and and you, with the position I've built myself to now, you get some jealousy, and that jealousy is because they see what you've got and they don't have sometimes, and it's because they don't see the sacrifices that you put yeah, in. Yeah, and the I first think that that's, a, that's a great there. lesson that all eight year olds would be would be lucky lucky to have. The 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 lesson definitely took hold to the point where your your mother actually chimed in because she was a little bit concerned about your financial success. Can you can you tell us the story about uh, how, how your mum and sister asking <laughs> why George is so flush with cash? So I, I got a scholarship away to school, and I get given a, a pretty measly sort of term allowance at the start of the term and uh, a lot of my friends would get the same thing and they'd once again go in and blow it all but I'd, you know I'd, I'd have a good life but I wouldn't splash my cash and I'd keep saving and I'd, I'd sort of do things and I picked up the odd little job on the side and um, my sister comes up to me one day and she goes you wouldn't believe what mum just asked me and I go what is it what is it this time she goes mum just asked me if you're a drug dealer and I'm like what why? She's like, well, you're always going out and you always seem to have money. And in mum's mind, that was the only way I could have figured out how to do it. So don't be fiscally responsible when you're young is the moral oh, of that story. Or your mum might God, think you're a poor, drug dealer. Poor mum too. I imagine the turmoil. She, she couldn't reconcile it. it was just, uh, you, were just a, you were just financially literate yeah, back then. Look. <laughs> and this still gets brought up Good. at Christmas. How important do you think that that sort of that schooling in financial literacy was to your career? I mean, obviously you've ended up an accountant, so there must have been something there. But but more to it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so something um, went wrong. The the hopes and dreams that <laughs> obviously came crashing down to some extent with you and your uh, your elbow pads. But you know, yeah, over exactly. and above just yeah. just being an, an yeah, accountant. Yeah. <laughs> The, the way that I, that I know that you you carry on with your investments, you, that that must have been a, a, a pretty formative part of your life. Look, I think what it is is it's not necessarily getting in so early, but it's getting an interest and seeing a result. You need to continue. Well, why? She's like, well, you're always need to learn. And I think anybody can do this at any stage. But when I did that thing with my dad and the cows, at the end of the day, I could sit back and see the result of what I'd done Yeah. Um, and actually getting rewarded for it. Uh, 
and it just you need to get started. Um, there's a lot of people in my life who have a real fear around it, um, and, and I try and help them in those ways. But have a fear about getting started, and as you get older, that fear amplifies because they think they'll look like an idiot in front of people. You really don't. No one cares where you're at. It's like an overweight person going to the gym. People are really happy you're at the gym. They don't care that you're overweight. It's you're showing and you're getting started, and you'll show improvement over time. And I think it's a very similar sort of mentality there um, that I take to it. I mean, I'm lucky I got in early, so it's helped me now, but it's never too late. You've just got to start. I, I think that's a really good um, really good sort of metaphor there. I mean, I know myself, I've sort of seen people out running that were, you know, pretty hefty people, and I'm just kind of looking at that thinking, you know, good on you. It, it, it takes a bit of courage to get out there, and obviously you don't necessarily look like a runner, but I think people champion those that are, they can see are having a go, right? Yeah. No one ever like holds anybody back when they're having a go. You mightn't be the best, but I'll tell you what, you're going to have the best improvement if you keep trying. Exactly. Now, George, the we, we've got characters sort of like back in the day, the Paul Clitheroes and maybe a modern sort of example of that is your, is your Scott Papes, um, you know, trying to help with financial literacy. But, but how would you rate the preparedness of your average adult to make financial decisions based on, you know, what they've been exposed to in home and in school? Uh, majority, hopeless, um, without sounding harsh. Uh, I see a lot of people come in who, the, the problem that, that comes with the lack of education that comes through school and things is they then just try and outsource it. Um, and as we've seen through the Banking Royal Commission, it hasn't been a great idea to outsource it. You need to have like a fundamental knowledge, just the basics. You don't need to be an expert. But you need to know the fundamentals to be able to look at something and go, oh, they're absolutely ripping me off or that's not a, that's not a clever decision. Now, I'm saying that to get the fundamentals is not difficult. Uh, there's, there's only a certain amount of basic learning you need to do to get to that. Um, when you're talking about investing into more complicated things outside of property, then, yeah, maybe there is a lot more you need to know. Um, but, but when you're looking at things more like property, Understand just the fundamentals of what rental return you're getting, what expected yield, um, and a little, a, a few of those basics. And the other thing, I, you know, as an accountant, I think I have to say, the fundamentals of the tax system and, and how that's going to impact you. Um, I'll put a disclaimer in there that you might learn it now and Labor will get in power okay. and it may change a lot. But that, that's sort of where I feel people are sitting at the moment is probably a little bit underdone, um, especially through the school programs. Although I am hearing that since I went through, which is a while ago now, um, it's improving. So hopefully the next generation is coming through with that little bit more financial yeah, literacy. Yeah, let's, ho- let's hope so. Speaking about the due diligence, I've been lucky enough to chat to you about some of the, the projects that I know that you've been sort of looking into. And for anyone that doesn't know you, I think... You- such a diverse array of opportunities that come across your desk for whatever reason and and some of the sort of the, the thought processes that that you put into um i mean you're you're a far clever cleverer bloke than myself um I, i've just sort of sat in in wonder at some of the numbers that you've been crunching can you can you run us through a basic sort of due diligence process obviously we're sort of talking about you know property investing here but i guess there's a lot of crossover with some of the business things that you analyze for yourself and for your clients as well yeah, absolutely. And and whenever you look at it, that sort of process, there, there's hard and soft areas you look at. So there's the hard, what I call the figures. You look at figures and do you make do they make sense? 
Um, so you'll look, I'll, I'll try and put it through the property. You'll look at the property and see what, what is the rental return um, that I'm going to get on that? How much can I actually afford to pay? Uh, and, and I look at that from a, a lump sum and also from a cash flow repayment. And then with, with a property like that and you're doing that, you might need to look at what will happen if the interest rates change. So those are the financial sort of things you'll look at. Um, but you also need to look at what I'd call the softer things. Um, what's what streets it in? What's it look like in comparison to the other houses on the street? Do you want to buy the worst house on the best street? Um, what What's the general market doing? Where, where in, if we're looking at Australia or where in the world do you think is going to have the best growth? And, and a lot of those factors are political, socioeconomic. Is there a massive spend going on a hospital around there soon? Is the Sydney light rail going to be right out the front door? So those, you need to look at it from more than just one area. And the other thing I'd always do is do a comparison. So do it for one and then check it against another one. The more of those you do, the more you'll be able to recognize a really good deal when I you come across I think that's absolutely it. fantastic advice. And, and, and I was going to ask, you know, how you would compare the due diligence of, a, of an accountant to a be- beginner investor. I think that's maybe one example, you know, running through those numbers and then doing it side by side as many times as you can stomach, which I think is probably several for an accountant yeah. and maybe yeah one Without or two wearing for a yourself down person. yeah <laughs> but, but what 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 other things do you yeah. think people are not getting right that you know is bread and butter to an accountant i think probably the, the current market showing us a little bit is that i guess a lot of what we look at is as an accountant is the alternative so people go yeah that's an okay investment i'll make okay money on it they don't look at what they're giving up on that because the, the number one thing everybody listening to this will have is limited capital. You only have so much money. So it's really saying every time you go to make an investment, you need to say, is this really the best place for this money? Is there something else out there that would get me a better return or you know, suit my lifestyle better because there's multiple factors you'd look at? And if the answer is almost a yes, it's a yes because yeah. you'll never be 100% sure. But if it's almost a yes, then go it. And you've got to be comfortable that, so from my point of view, when I look at multiple investments, if I go and buy a property and I take and I put the deposit down and then outside of just the cash out now, it's going to take away the, the cash flow each month of this that I could be investing into other things. Is that what I want? And a lot of people forget to ask that question. They just go, everybody else has done it, so I'm doing it. I look at it from a slightly different perspective and going, am I going to do this or am I going to invest into a business of some description? Um, am I going to invest into commercial property instead of that? So, so always look at what your other options are before you go. Once you're comfortable with property, if that is your choice, then you're going to be much more comfortable when you actually. Yeah, I, I love that decision. as an idea. Not you know, not handing over the deposit with a bit of trepidation and have I done the right thing? But if you've done the analysis in the George Morris School of of due yeah. diligence, then you're going to be excited to throw the cash <laughs> down, right? Yeah, and, and it is an exciting time because you know, it, it's the house versus car scenario. When you're buying a house, it, it's going to increase your future. When you're buying a car, there's an intrinsic love of driving and it's really fun, but it only affects you now and whilst you're driving it and it actually decreases your wealth over time. Um, now, if you love cars, go for it. That's, then it's worth it. But with a house, you're actually building a future, which is a I'm really nice thing to I'm glad you suffered it by saying if you love cars, go for it because you accounts really have a, a way of taking the fun out of things. <laughs> but 
<laughs> I know. That's what we're here for. Now, we're here George, to be the bad um, guy. speaking of being the bad guy, I, I've heard you say things like the capital gain gamble. Now, this is not going to make you popular with, with property investors listening, um, but what are you talking about here when you talk about the property, uh, the capital gain gamble? Well, the capital gain gamble in my mind is that, that what you get from a property that you invest in now is a horrid return. If you're just looking from a cash flow basis, it's horrible. You would not do it. You could get more sitting in a bank with less risk. Um, you know, so there's no point on doing it unless yep. there's capital gain that goes with that property. Now, in, traditionally in Australia, it's been a fantastic investment. No one would argue with that. Um, for all the ups and downs and the high returns of the share market, I think over a 20 or 30 year period, there's not a hell of a lot of difference. Um, but that, you know, capital gain is now assumed in the model that people are buying property on, but capital gain will be there. If I buy a house for half a million dollars now, obviously not in the middle of Sydney, but half, half a million dollars now, that will be in 10 to 15 years worth a million dollars. Now that, that's an assumption everybody's making. Will it be right? I have no crystal ball. I have no idea. Um, the current property market has pulled back. Uh, whether that will get worse, whether it will continue, whether it will just continue along its normal cycles as it has for the last 50, 60 years as far as I know, you know, hopefully it does. And, and I genuinely say hopefully it does. Um, I, I'm myself in property and, and a lot of my clients are, but you're gambling that that will still happen. Yeah. There is no assurance that that will happen. And there's one thing it happening and there's another thing of it happening over and above, you know, the, the cost of money or, or CPI as well, right? Because if you think about, um, let's say you've got a, you've found a great property that you think has capital gains upside and it ha- just happens to be in an area with massive yields of 8%, it still might only be putting, you know, 30 or $40 back in your pocket pre-tax. That's not a great investment if you're talking about investing, you know, four or five hundred grand, right? And if you don't have that capital gain, that's a terrible investment. No, absolutely, and, and it's it's not great, and it's gonna. I assume it's going to change. There's some policies looking to change, and Australia has been heavily skewed to property investment due to our legislation around tax. Um, there's no other way to put that, and. Whether if that changes, that will also change the whole dynamics of how property investment in Australia works. So it'll be an interesting period. Whether it will happen or not, once again, I don't have a crystal yeah. ball. So we'll just have to sit and wait I on guess, that one. Um, just before people sort of start attending your office with with burning stakes and that sort of stuff. I mean, it, 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 if, <laughs> if you understand that the the drivers and you're purchasing in a property that's had historically high demand, I mean, these are ways to sort of mitigate those risks. I mean, if if you're buying, you know, a, a property in in Balmain or something like that, it's probably safe to say that everyone's going to, you know, Balmain's always going to be somewhere that people want to live, right? Yeah, and look, all of this is just awareness of the risk. It doesn't mean it's going to be a bad investment. Uh, I'm still currently looking for a property myself at the moment. Uh, I'm not saying property's a bad thing here in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying know the risks that exist. And, and make sure you consider them before you actually make the That's decision. good. That's fair enough. Um, I'm making it sound like this is a fundamental podcast and equities of the devil. Um, but it, it, it is important <laughs> to understand the, the, the opportunity costs of that money that you're putting into a, a property. And, and, yeah, I mean, that capital gains gamble makes sense. Um, the, in the process of, of building wealth, people need 
accountants such as yourself um, because you know s- s- selecting the investments is is obviously one part of it but a huge part of that um, wealth creation side is is structuring as well you know from a from an asset protection point of view from a tax minimization point of view uh, point of view two two investors you know purchasing the same assets but in in different structures can can have extremely different results can you talk to us a little bit about this and 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 maybe with some examples yeah absolutely so there's there's, there's many things and there's many when you say property investments there's many different types because when you do look at the commercial space um, there has been a prevalence of investing through SMSS. Um, SMSS has been quite popular over the last little while, and that's because it's in a low-tax environment. Um, the negative side to that is that if you're having losses, which a lot of people when they first go into property are, it's stuck in that environment. You don't get the tax benefit personally. Uh, you can look at things like companies which have limited tax, that there's other capital gains things that play through in that where you don't get the same capital gain tax benefit. So there's... You know, and normal trusts, once again, you have stamp duty issues there and you get the, the losses quarantined, but currently a lot of people are using those trusts as a vehicle to distribute uh, money uh, out in the lower tax bracket person. Uh, so, so as you can see, there's, there's a million different little things that need to be considered before you actually choose your structure for any investment. Uh, and I think the biggest thing I always ask of any of my clients is talk to me before you do something. Because once you've done it with property, it's done. Because um, it's really hard to transfer it to other other uh, you know entities or structures uh, because there's costs of stamp duty and those sort of things come up again. Uh, so that that's where we when we talk about structures, those are the key sort of things we look at. We look at the capital gains impact when you sell it. We look at where the income's going uh, whilst you own it, and and. Uh, there's specialists that look at land tax and see what impact that will have uh, depending on which And that's a fairly in. easy sort of conversation or even an email to have with you, George. Like if someone's a client, if it's say they're, they're, they're contacting their own accountant, it's, it's a matter of, um, hey, George, I'm still buying these, this one in a trust, right? Or do I stick with my personal name? And you'll be able to say, yep, yeah. like that's the strategy for now. Or actually, you've got a business and the revenue is such that we're actually going to probably do it a different way. I mean, that doesn't have to be a long, protracted conversation, right? It's, a, it's actually quite a simple conversation for us. There's, there's a certain amount of factors, but generally my clients, it's a five-minute phone call. I just double-check the facts I already know about the client, make sure nothing's changed, um, and then, yes, continue with the same structure you had last time or because you've got multiple now, Maybe because you are an, an accountant, people yeah. people are gonna you know expect to be sort of maybe lulled into uh, a nice little lullaby of, of legislation. Can can we can we do a small dive into maybe some of these structures? Like for example, if we're talking a, a self managed super fund, um, where the the advantages are the low rate of tax, right? So people were paying what thirty percent tax on on the rent that's coming in. Uh, so that's if it's in their personal name, it's, it's on their personal tax rate, which is yep. in Australia is a sliding scale. So it can be anything from basically the bottom section zero, anything above one eighty is up at forty seven percent. So you've got you've got a real variance in there, and that's why that's another thing we will know as an accountant is go. Look, if you are buying it in personal names, um, you're actually both willing to retire, and you're not going to have any other income other than maybe a pension that's not taxable. Have it in your personal names, so therefore you're not actually going to pay right, any okay. tax, not whatsoever. Um, 
So, and then you look at self-managed super funds if you're at 15% for the majority of your life. And then when you go into retirement, uh, it goes to zero. Uh, I'll put a disclaimer in there. If you have a lot of money in there, things change a little. Um, and then if you have a lot of money in your personal name, it can also change super. But th- th- those are the fundamentals of it. Trust partnerships don't get taxed in their own right. They go out to whoever owns them and get taxed. So in let's say we um, we decide um, that um, you and I are... Um, it's a boon for for uh, for cake makers. This uh, same sex marriage stuff. Um, I don't find you attractive that way, George. But we've decided yep. that <laughs> we've got something in common. <laughs> I know oh, it is a shame. shame. Um, so we buy uh, <laughs> yep. a property together after establishing a family trust. We have a fifty percent loan, so we've got we've got rent coming in. There's there's no actual sort of. It's not a negatively geared property. Um, you're earning, I'm assuming, a billion dollars a year. Yep. So you're on forty percent tax rate. You know, I'm a, a struggling surveyor so I'm on the 35% um, tax bracket this income that's coming into our family trust is much better assigned to myself on a lower tax rate is it is is that the the simplest way of of... that's the way the system is currently working so people are pushing the income there where you're going to pay less tax on it now it might be um, though so I'll run you through that scenario um, if we didn't have it in a family trust, we had it in our personal, uh, in just my personal name, and it was a running a loss, I'd actually get the full tax because that's a deduction for me and my personal name. So the name. higher tax percentage um, you're paying, the greater so, the value of, of the actual negative geared losses. Exactly yeah, I mean, right, There's yeah. probably an example we could do that without getting married, so I apologise for subjecting you to that one. That's a... yeah, We could have had a unit trust of, you know, <laughs> sure. but... Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I've given we, we can dream, a scary you know? visual image just absolutely for free. Yeah, don't worry, I won't <laughs> tell Nikki about it. Now, um, with the capital gains tax uh, sort of proposal that Labor's sort of coming in with, so, for example, at the moment if you, you're buying in your personal name and you're selling it after a year, you're getting a 50% exemption. They're proposing that it'll be a, a 25% yeah. uh, exemption. I know that if you buy a, co- uh, a property in a in a company name, you don't get any sort of capital gains tax exemption. But then with the depreciation changes in May 2017, if you're buying in a company, you can still claim the plant and equipment. Uh, do, do, are there any little loopholes that you see that are going to maybe expose some of this 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 labour policy? Yeah, well, I guess Labor's policy was based, their, their argument is that it was a high inflation period in Australia when that came in, and they just think that 50% is too generous. Um, the, the, I mean, the major, I wouldn't call it a loophole, but the major thing, if it's your primary residence, if you've lived in it, it is right. capital gains tax-free. So that's the first one, um, which I'm sure a lot of people listening will know. Um, and then some people, depending on their, their personal scenarios, they might be living in a place for a year or two after they buy it and they decide they want to move out um, to a new area or something else, they're not buying another home. Um, they might be renting somewhere. They can actually have the next six years of capital gains exempt on that primary residence even though they're not living in it and they may be getting the benefit in their wow. tax returns of negative year. So this is the power of having someone that uh, knows that, the uh, the tax environment well. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's all... And property is not too complicated, especially residential property. Uh, you can get into a lot more complicated transactions. We are doing one yesterday which had four SMSS involved plus a company plus a unit trust and then there was you know, some storage things being involved. So there's, 
there's a lot of more complicated structures. When you're talking residential property um, in the family sort of ownership, uh, there's some few key things. And, and to be honest, and this is a pitch for you, the first thing I do is say, have you got a quantity surveyor's report? Make sure you talk to Mike because he'll tell you if it's not worth getting one. Um, that, that's honestly for residential property owners, the first thing I say to them. Um, and then we talk about the main residence and we talk about how to actually make sure that your interest is tax deductible. And that. I mean, like I'm that. getting you to plug me on my own show, George. This is this is really winning. This is really winning, yeah. isn't it? Genius. <laughs> yeah, That'll uh, be 50 bucks. Checks thanks. in the mail to your, uh, to your unit trust or family trust. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, but... But the reason I'm happy to the reason I'm happy yeah, to plug it is it genuinely now, makes sense. Talk to us a little bit more about um, yeah. this upcoming election. I think the latest that it can be is maybe like the 18th of May. Um, we're, we're recording sort of towards the end of January. The podcast probably going to come out just a little bit before um, the election. What are your uh, what are your predictions and and what are we going to be navigating in a ch- in a change of government? I'm assuming that if the the Liberals re- retain government, the the tax um, changes may just be reduction in company tax. There's probably not going to be any fundamental things. Maybe a couple of percent here, or, here or there for for individuals. But but Labor have some 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 pretty big proposals. Um, can you talk to us to, uh, about some of those sorts of things and and what you think the impacts will be? I, I can, and, and I'm going to take a step back here because I get this question a lot um, from a lot of people, and and it's I'm going to give you the cop out answer, but it's the one I generally believe. Make your investments. Now, just just don't hold back based on legislative changes. If you're going to buy something, buy something. If you're not, not. Don't let potential future changes impact you because so much can happen in that time that you're making a decision based on something that's quite out there and hard to grasp. You've got to get the right people into power. You've then got to get it passed through everywhere. They've got to put it up. It's going to take a long time. And, and it, with all the factors you're considering in your investment, is this really the key factor? Now, look, it may be that you could guess right and the right person gets into power and they get everything through the Senate and it goes through and you made the right decision. It's, it's another one of those gambles, you know, and I think in my personal opinion, um, that, that is too far removed from the facts of what you were looking at that property for to really do it. Now, if you get burnt because it changes, then everybody else is getting so burnt. So if we look at, Say the the biggest policy, the you know the negative gearing, the capital gains tax discount. So this is going to be grandfathered. So you you know you're going to be if you're buying a, a an investment property now, um, you'll still be able to have the old sort of system. But potentially there's going to be a disincentive to yeah. to purchase an investment property if you're getting higher tax when you're selling the property. If you're not able to to negatively gear, this is likely going to mean that the supply of investment properties drops. The demand for rental properties is probably unlikely to to drop. It's likely to go the other way. The advantage there is that yeah. there'll be maybe less players and investors can suddenly expect higher yields. Are you think, thinking that it'll be some some sort of thing would eventuate like that? Um, p- potentially, and, and it's all, all theory, but it might also be because there's less people coming in, there's um, there's property decreases right. in the actual value. Uh, it might That value decrease may also flow on to the construction industry. Construction industry suddenly starts putting in less uh, applications for development, less buildings coming through because they're getting less price for it. That could make staff lay off. Um, therefore, you've got a slightly higher unemployment rate. 
all of these things are economic terms, which which could well happen. Um, and, and the rental yield may go up in that period because there is more renters rather than owner-occupiers. Um, and I, I think, to be honest, that that's just my opinion mm. of it. Yeah, and it'd it be interesting to, to see if, if that policy came in. I mean, yeah. as you say, if there's less people buying, then there's you know less competition for those investment properties. So prices may go down whilst rents are going up, and then rents become so attractive that people want to get back in. Yeah. Um, it's um, it's it's, yep. it's it's such Absolutely. an unknown, isn't it? I mean, you know, even the best economists in the, in the country are saying, look, we we don't know exactly what we think is going to happen, but we think rents are going to go up and prices are going to go down. Is that that a fairly safe bet? You think? Yeah, look, it, it seems to be what would happen if that came through. And and even the rents going up, they're probably talking about rental yields, um, because as the property prices go yep. down, rent yields naturally go up because as a percentage of the property price has gone up. So even if the the dollar value stayed flat the rental yeah. yield on yeah, the value of that property goes sense. up. Can you talk to us a little bit about yeah. um, you and your clients, in terms sort of your average property investor clients? You've got some super high net worth individuals and businesses. I'm interested in, in your insights in, in some of the, the clients, what, what they have in common that have achieved real solid financial results and, and, and maybe with, with a focus on, on investing and, and property in particular. Yeah, the, the property one's really easy to see what's been successful. Um, a lot of people are always talking about getting the, the timing right, getting into the market. Uh, I have no idea when a lot of my really successful clients bought their properties. When they sell them, we'll have yep. to know. It's time in the market. All of those people have not, they've just bought and held. They've accumulated, they've scrapped, they've saved every cent they can. And as soon as they could, they bought another property and they scrapped and they saved and they haven't they haven't spent their money. They haven't been fancy about it, but they and they're, they're almost like a farmer where I grew up. You are a little bit cash poor, but you're asset rich, and and it's just an accumulation strategy. And and it's just and when they bought their property, seems so irrelevant now. You know that at the time the difference might have been seventy thousand to seventy five thousand buying in. One was a good deal, and one wasn't. That same place is now worth three million. Yeah. So the $5,000 back there, did it make a difference? Yes, but the fact that they did it was what was most important. That's a, that's a really interesting point and something that you, you don't hear real estate agents sort of share as a pitch too much. I think they might be missing a bit of a trick. Yeah, yeah okay, like the owner wants an extra five grand, but you know, historically this suburb's got X amount of price growth. So over 10 years, you know, are you going to niggle about this five grand when it's going to be worth twice as much or whatever the figures are? Yeah, exactly. And then it really has been the successful ones are the people who have bought and held. Um, you've seen a lot of our clients have bought property and done well and then sold it and then done some equities and some option trading and, and they've gone for high risk things and they've chopped and changed and chopped and changed and they've made okay money in each one. But there's transaction costs to all of that. And that, you know, just sit and take your time and it will come. Just think, George sitting on the farm, deciding to to keep this cow and just watching his herd grow into this this exactly. <laughs> this masterful paddock of assets. Um, it is, and and it's the new people in. It's about being tough on yourself at first and getting that first bit of money. I think um, the other the other one I've seen, sorry, no, just right. to cut you off, is people buying in places they don't necessarily want to live. 
just because you wouldn't live in the house doesn't mean it's not a good investment. That's where it comes down to analysing the numbers, right, and, and stop thinking about it as a, yeah. as a physical asset. Obviously, you need to make sure that it's structurally sound and that sort of stuff. But, yeah. you know, just because you don't want to live in a one-bedroom unit in whatever suburb doesn't mean that there isn't a massive demand for it, right? No, it, it's, it's, it's a house. It's not your home. What does property? How does property compare to, to other types of investments? Obviously, you mentioned uh, you know some clients that have had some success in property and chase some more speculative things like like equities. You know, you yourself have been in, involved in uh, in in dodgy funds in the in the US. Um, <laughs> how, how does property property compare um, as an investment in terms of you know return and liquidity and risk and that sort of thing? It's stable. Comparative, I know we're going through we're going through a downturn now, um, and and it's also really good for nervous investors because a share market, it, you can check every day what the price of your share is, and it's gone down today, and I'm worried about that, and I'm going to check it again tomorrow to see where it's at. You never see that with property, mm. you know. You buy it and you sell it in 15 years. You don't really ride the highs and lows nearly as much as you do when you go into that other type of investment. Now, shares, uh, yeah, the equity market's the equity market. I'm probably not going to go too far in that. And then the other thing is obviously businesses and things like that. A property, buying a property will never make you a multimillionaire. Overnight, you won't have a great change unless you get really lucky with some zoning or something. But it, it, it is constant. It is consistent and it just churns away. Whereas you can go and take some more high risk, high reward investments, which may, you know, double in a year. Um, very rarely would you ever get a property double in a year. It may triple in a year. Um, you see that happen on the share market as well. A, a new stock lists and it goes up by seven times. There, I can't see that ever happening with property, but it's also very stable. So it's never going to have that same share that might double four times. Might also go to one fifth of its value. Um, and I don't think you'd see property going to one fifth. Well, of its I mean, value. the economy would would be broken, right? We'd all be sort of scraping a living off rocks potentially if that happens, whereas in equities that can happen and, you know, the world doesn't look any different, right? No, it doesn't. It could be just in one company and it could be the Enron just going bankrupt. Um, People people talk about sort of the lack of of liquidity um, with real estate, you know, the inability to sort of log into your trading account and hit sell and then your house is gone and you get the money as a a negative sort of thing. But from what I'm hearing you you talking about, um, you know, investor psychology, it's actually kind of good that we're sort of locked out of that, that we might need to engage an agent and take 60 or 90 or 120 days or whatever to sell a property because it, it, it forces us to stick to the the fundamentals of investing, um, you know, for for a, for a balanced positive return, and that is doing something and leaving it alone. Yeah, the liquidity is both. It's a positive and negative. If, if you, it's emotional reasons that you're wanting to make that decision because you've read an article in the Daily Telegraph and it's saying that property may go down and you want to sell out now, um, and you're not really making that on, on a lot of comments on a lot of factors. You just read an article then that in-and-out mentality costs a lot um, and you, you miss out on a lot. But it does have negatives with lack of liquidity. If you've overstretched yourself and suddenly there's um, you know, a medical emergency or something that you need money for, it's a lot harder to get hold of that money. So there is, you've got to be comfortable locking that money up for a period if you do go into uh, property. That makes a lot of sense, of course. 
Now, George, just um, before we wrap up, I'm, I, I want to, again, dive into the George Morris uh, School of Due Diligence and Investing. Um, you mentioned that sort of you're looking for property at the moment. Um, knowing yourself, you'll have some sort of shrewd, shrewd sort of strategy. Uh, are we, you, what, what sort of things are you looking for? Are you looking for, you know, purchasing under the market with some, some connections? Are you just looking for fundamentals, you know, close to, to train stations or what have you? Do you buy under median price? Do you buy the ugly house in the best street? What, uh, what sort of stuff uh, is ticking the boxes for you? Um, a key thing for me is, is stability. So uh, you mentioned Balmain before and people are always going to want to live there. I always look within a radius of the CBD of a place um, because it does have that rental stability, which means I'm not going to be forking out money whilst there's no tenant in there to try and cover my costs. Um, so as part of the, the safety of this investment is that I know 99% of the time I'm going to have no trouble finding a tenant for it. Uh, the other things I look for is the amount of land that comes with it. Um, a lot of people go to units, and this is just a personal choice. I look for more land because I think over time in my mind that should accumulate to more capital growth, um, and I look for low maintenance. I don't want uh, huge amounts of gardens and everything that tenants are going to have to or, or actually not look after and then cause me yeah. more expenses. Beautiful. I think we've got some good insights there. George, how do people get in, in touch with you if they want um, some advice on their, their investing, their structuring or, or they're a business owner? Um, they can just call the main line, which is 0285 uh, or it's G Morris, which is M O R I C E, at primepartners.com.au. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just sort of dropping us off with one piece of advice for our property investor listeners, listeners what would that be, George? Do your research first, compare with other things in the market, and once you've made your decision, Beautiful. stick with it. I love it. It's been a pleasure, George. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and insights. And uh, we, I'm sure that there'll be a Thanks lot to, that people will get out of this one. Cheers. Perfect. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm.